2: Hello, welcome to On the Sporting Couch, a psychological profile of a well-known sportsman or woman. I'm Gary Bloom, a sports psychotherapist, and that means I work one-to-one with all sorts of people who are having or have had problems in their personal lives. It's sometimes called a talking therapy. The show hopefully gives a flavour of what goes on between the therapist, me, and the person who today is on the Sporting Couch. Meet Steve Harmison, one of the finest pace bowlers this country has produced in the past couple of decades. He bowled for England in more than 120 games, including tests, one-day internationals and even T20. He took more than 200 wickets in a career that was severely affected by depression, anxiety and homesickness. Welcome to On the Sporting Couch. I'm Gary Bloom. With me, Steve Harmison who said to me, playing international cricket was the best of times and the worst of times.
1: I don't take a great deal seriously. But, yeah, you know, there are there are things going on inside that haven't been right throughout the course of my career. But I look back at things and think, well, that's the cards I was dealt. I'm quite philosophical in that way, where I try not to let it get me down. You know, I, when I was at my darkest, I was at my darkest, couldn't get off the floor. Literally lying on the floor for, like, six seven hours just you know basically trying to teach telling my kids that i'm i've got a bad back because i'm on my stomach trying to like and it was just because of the sort of anxiety inside me, the pit of my stomach was hurting that much and it was hurting as that much the anxiety um was was there but that's my life that's the way i've lived my life and i feel as though i've gone through it and i've come out the other side not not getting rid of them feelings but i've been able to manage it um and manage it yeah, reasonably well. What does it feel
2: like to be ha- having the words to be able to describe what you're going through, Steve? Because many people
1: just don't have the words. You do. No, it's. I think if I think if you hear it head on and you don't get frightened by it, I was frightened by it first up, and then I seen somebody um, at, a, at a at a hospital in in Manchester, and we had a chat, and he was great, and he didn't know me, didn't know sport, didn't know anything. I was playing cricket at the time. I was actually number one in the world's bowling rankings at the time. And I think there's only Jimmy Anderson and Ian Botham ever with all the rankings have been out. So that tells you at the level I was performing in my career from a professional point of view. But from a personal point of view, or not a personal point of view, an inside point of view, I had anxieties like you'd never believe. You know, I, I tell it, you what,
2: what's the biggest... Sorry to jump in, Steve. I think Taylor, the th- biggest shock that I've realised with you is when you were at the Priory in Manchester and you saw a psychiatrist, a psychologist there, you said to me, I only saw him for six sessions. And given the severity of the symptoms you have described for me, I was a bit surprised because somebody displaying your sort of symptoms, I would have thought you'd have said to me, Gary, I was in therapy for a couple of years.
1: Um, The the true answer to that is it was probably six sessions over a couple of years because of, I'd see him before I would see him before I go away at the time. I think at the time you're looking at playing for England at that time. You spent I think there was one year we spent th- just under 300 nights in hotel rooms out of 365 days. Mm. Yeah, end of uh, from October the 1st to end of September. So fitting it in and seeing somebody was always very very difficult. Um, I'd have make, have the odd communication with him, but it was more Making sure medications at what I need to have to to get myself in a position to train, to get myself in a position to play, but also in a position to live my life and you know with you know, the four children I have and making sure that I felt good enough inside because the first time I saw him I got quite I was alarmed I was alarmed Why were you alarmed? Because the person sat in front of me said, um, have you thought about self-harming? Have Basically, have you thought about taking your own life? And I didn't feel that I'd got to that point. I really didn't. Um, I thought there was times where you just think, I just wish I wasn't here anymore. I just wish it would all go away when you're on tour, but not to the point where you you had thoughts of, I wish I wasn't here anymore, I wish it wasn't being me, I wish it wasn't that, but not to the actual point where you thought, I'm gonna do something about it. And I think that was a. Fu- I think I and I think because of getting to see the psychiatrist I probably got to see him just at the right time. I probably had thoughts where I wish I wasn't there anymore. I didn't feel as though I was in a position where I could go through with it or
2: So I think what you're saying to me, Steve, if I can paraphrase is I had the thoughts but there was no way that I would have acted them through. Yeah, is that correct? I
1: think that I think I think that I think you I think I had you, you probably had the thoughts because I think that's the way you were and f- that's where I was and I felt. But to go through and you know the family I have and everything I had, I've f- that quickly brought me back into back into a moment which was out the darker side and I, I don't know. I, I honestly, I really don't, I, I really don't know if if one I had I would have the guts to do anything like that. Two, if I had them, you know. That thought of taking your own life, I think there's a long process to, to get to that point. And I possibly was not quite within a quarter of that, possibly half of that, to ever get to the point where I think if you get beyond that, you are in serious trouble.
2: I think it's worth pointing out at this stage for people who are thinking of suicide, that, that those thoughts are a disease Hmm. Where an area of your brain, the logical part of your brain, thinking through the consequences of what you're doing, has been switched off, hmm. and the area of your brain which is feeding those those fantasies, is very much in control. Does that model make sense to you?
1: Yeah, that makes more sense to me than you know, probably I was trying to to, to, to describe it. Um, and I and I felt going to see the doctor at the time was probably just at the right time. Medication he put me on didn't work at first. Um, I had an accident in the car, which um, probably was down to more my driving, uh, but also having the medication that was with it. That gave me a little bit of a fright, it really did. Um, uh, so we then went on to something different, and then that something different was that worked, and it worked and it helped me get myself in a position to be active.
2: The, the accident you had in your car, Steve, did you have the accident because the medication made you drowsy? I honestly don't know.
1: I honestly don't know. Then how do
2: you know the medication was was the reason you had the accident? Because
1: it happened within the first three days of taking that medication, so I wasn't sure if it was the medication, poor driving, combination of both. Steve, you're still on meds to this day. Do you see a day in the future where you'll come off them? I'm not exactly sure, is my 100% answer. I think a couple of times I've tried to come off them and I felt a bit different and felt a bit anxious. And whether that had anything to do with coming off them or whether I still needed the medication, I wasn't exactly sure. Um, But what I do, do know is that at the minute, it's not too bad. There's only a couple of times where I really feel a bit down and anxious. And it's times of the year more than anything else. Um, when are you your worst? I'm normally my worst when sort of the season finishes and the work drives up a little bit. So I feel as though I'm in a good place at this moment in time. The when I struggle is when we go to the next level the downtime. Um, I know, I know, in the next sort of three or four weeks, there's going to be a little bit of a jittery period because I'm going out to India for 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 three weeks. Um and that brings the unknown my problem is when I'm in my own head spending time by myself and I'm not working I'm not around people mm. and I'm I'm maybe I'm at home and you know then all of a sudden the mind goes wandering alcohol intake goes up which probably doesn't help Um all that factor normally comes October, November when cricket season's finishing Um and then yeah you you pick yourself up going into sort of christmas time normally i go on hold with the family in around the sort of december january period and then you bounce into sort of end of february all of march going into well leading into the cricket season which is a lot of work being from a social dinner aspect because cricket clubs are trying to raise money you have to dinner speaking goes up a little bit all that comes with my life at this moment in time so that dark period is when so normally I always look at it, it was when the clocks go back. That's right. when it. That's when I change a little bit because I don't have as much work. I then become very introverted, and that's where that's when I struggle a little bit. And I think it's more my own doing than uh, the th- thoughts of myself more and more and more. And then it just, it's like I, I've always believed that the, the sort of the anxiety and the mental health issue comes when, for me personally, when. One bad deer turns into two bad deers, two turns into three, and it never evens out. It just continually goes down. And that's where I always seem to struggle. And that normally becomes through when I spend time by myself. What you very
2: eloquently describe is what we therapists would call thinking about thinking. Mm. And then you end up going around in circles. circles. Mm.
1: Yeah. I would, I would, I would say that because I would imagine you know, when I feel when I'm having an an indifferent day, the, the first song that I listen to on the radio, when I get in the car, bang, I can't sleep at night because that's going at like a thousand mile an hour in my head. I can't sleep at night, and then I'm tired. Wake up the next morning, and it just repeats itself the next day, and then it repeats itself the next day, and constantly thinking about things and worrying about things and. Yeah, you know, they've got four children and have they got what they need and the anxieties of that all comes on top of you and that doesn't help finishing playing cricket cricket's a, an interesting sport when it comes to from the mental health issue because they don't earn the money the footballers earn don't earn the money the golfers earn they don't earn the, the big books if you play cricket for England you get well looked after but it's not what it was years gone by it was a six month contract you know, a while ago, you know, when I was playing, you were a six months contract, and then you were out in the open, and you know, f- trying to find a job. Well, who will give you a job for six months when you know you're going to have to uh, pack it in, walk away, because you've got your cricket contract coming. This is
2: On the Sporting Couch on Talk Sport. With me in the studio is former England pace bowler Steve Harmison.
1: Players Cricket Association does fantastic work, absolute market leaders. He's not there anymore with Jason Ratcliffe. Unbelievable. Raymond, Richard Bevan, unbelievable guys at starting the mental health approach of finding a solution to the problem. And that is, that is so important. And the young cricketers now through platforms of likes of myself and what Marcus Triscothic went through and Jonathan Trott went through. And even though I was a little bit critical of Jonathan Trott when it actually happened, I still think there was an issue issue there. And for to come out and talk about it, speak about it and push and say, right, you're not the only ones that are in this. Why were you and critical? Help? I was critical because of the terminology he was using. He came back, he did an interview straight after the Australian trip with Ian Ward he sat in the gym and he was saying, I'm not a nutcase. I'm not a lunatic. I'm not, I'm not sure he said lunatic. He said, I'm not a nutcase. And I thought, really? Do people that suffer use that sort of, them words when they say I'm not a, when I, when, when they're struggling. And I thought he was soft. I actually thought, well, you've just been bounced out half a dozen times. You you've walked away from a, you've walked away, but I think I probably owe him an apology for that. And, he probably did feel I probably understood a little bit now more than I did at the time what he said what he was trying to say I think he was trying to show that sportsman's bravado say I'm a big strong man I'm not that not that bad and I I was like well if you're not that bad why did you come home so I I do believe there was an underlying problem there Um, and when you're on when you're in the media you have to you have to give comment on what you feel as right at the actual time and what you've gone through. And I felt what I was going through and I don't think I'd ever use the word nutcase. I remember crying my eyes out in McDonald's at Disneyland Paris. Why? Don't know. Couldn't tell you. Wife's sitting in front of me. Kid's sitting in front of me. I haven't a clue.
2: I'm going to see if we can do something I've never done on the radio Mm -hmm. before, but let's go there. I'd like you to close your eyes. I'd like you to go back. Just move into the microphone if you would, Steve, so we can hear you. I'd like to think about being in the McDonald's and all the visuals you can see in there, the counter, the burgers, the smells. And I'd like to think about Steve Harmison crying. What's going through your
1: mind? I was quite anxious. I was shaking a little bit. The tears were were coming. My wife was telling the kids to go and play in the, in the play area. And we were not far off going away. And I always had a... a, a very big anxiety attacks before going away and I can't remember which tour it was but we were going away the week later and it's not a case I didn't want to go it was a case of I just wanted to be there it was like the thing for me was leaving home getting to the hotel spending the night at the hotel doing the media stuff the next day getting on a plane getting to the hotel in another country if you had a, if you could just drop me and drop me out, peace, kick. So
2: hang on, was the anxiety the getting there?
1: I think the anxiety of the the realization that I'm on hold of my kids because I'm not going to see them for another. I'm not. I'm with my family and I'm not going to see them for three months. Yep. I think there's a clue in there, Steve, if you don't <laughs> mind me
2: saying so, because actually I'm going to replay your words to you. You said if you just pull me out of McDonald's and drop me down in the country I'm going to, I'd have been fine. So therefore, what we're looking for is the travel implications. And I am wondering whether you are actually frightened of your own self-destruction or something terrible happening to you in transit.
1: No, I don't think it was the, the in transit bit. I think where it all comes down to and comes back to was that first ever trip I ever went on in Pakistan. I'd never really been out of the country. I think I'd been to Mallorca twice in my whole entire life. That was it. And my career my career was, it was fast forward, like you'd not believe when we first started. I'd gone from playing under-17s cricket for Northumberland in uh, first week in August, nobody had ever heard of Steve Armisen. Nobody anywhere had heard of Steve Armisen. Steve Armisen wasn't even interested in playing cricket. Or he was looking forward to the football season starting. Because you're a big, big football fan, yeah, aren't you? Yeah, big football fan. So I played this game of cricket against Durham, under-17s. I think it was the first week of August, last week of July, something like that. And all of a sudden, after playing that game, Jeff Cook from Durham, director of cricket, came to Northumberland and said, who's that? We want to have a look at him. And by the middle of September, I played three second-team cricket matches for Durham at a senior level and played a first-team cricket match. When I finished the first-team cricket match, I then got picked for England under-19s. Never been in the England system at all. And within, I think, middle of November, I'm embarking on a tour to Pakistan, England under-19s, being away for Christmas. I lasted I lasted three nights before I was brain-on Andrew Flintoff, who was captain on his door saying, I've got to go home. I've got to go home. I lasted. I think I lasted 10 days altogether. And he was like, give it another day, give it another day, help me, help me loads. And then in the end, he makes a joke. He makes a joke that he he advised the management team to send me home so he could get some sleep because was, it was like knocking on his door, at stupid o'clock because I couldn't sleep. I think that scarred me big time on going away. I think it scarred me throughout my whole career. But what you said to me be- in a telephone conversation we had before this
2: recording, was I liked everybody thinking that I was homesick, mm. but in fact,
1: it wasn't homesickness, it was depression. Mm. And I think the anxiety and everything that came with me being with over that, going over, aware, I think got to me. Every time I was thinking about going aware, and every time I was aware, the anxiety was really, really To a point, the only time, that the the biggest point was when we got to South Africa in 2004. The physio, luckily for me, the physio was very understanding. Kurt Russell, brilliant, great guy. And he had been with me throughout the whole years. And he knew everything about me from under-19s. And I was, we were at altitude. We were in Joburg, we were hyperventilating. And I, I couldn't train. And it was the first time. I'd got to a point where I can't train. I literally, I couldn't. I couldn't run. I, I, couldn't breathe properly. I couldn't breathe properly. The anxiety, the pit in my stomach. You know, I just wanted to lie on the floor. I was, I was keep having to make excuses up my back, so, so I could, so I could literally physically lie down on my front and push myself up to do back stretches. And it wasn't for me back. It was because the stomach had churned so much. It was so solid that I literally the airwaves weren't getting through. But I'm looking at the physio and I'm thinking. If this is what it is, I'm going home. Best ball in the world time, I'm
2: going home. But uh, a lot of this stuff, is, for me, is about fear.
1: Mm.
2: And there must have been a fear there for you, Steve. Let's just try and work out what the fear was. Mm. Was the fear that you'd never see your family again? Was the fear that you would make a fool of yourself and you'd be shamed into something? What was the
1: fear? Was it a, was it a fear? I didn't feel as I was feared of anything. The one thing about me and my career I'd always believed i wasn't feared of nobody, nobody was better i always I always believed I was better than anybody, and no matter who I was playing, what I was playing, or where I was I wasn't feared anybody i really i didn't yeah but I, you,
2: you described two things if you don't mind me saying yeah. so on the cricket pitch I believe mm-hmm. I mean, you've made it absolutely clear you didn't you didn't mind bowling to any batsman yeah. and you thought you were the best bowler that was knocking around at that mm. particular time. I accept that. But take you off the cricket pitch, mm-hmm. we're in a completely different ball game. There's where the fear lies. That was a fear, yeah. What was the off-the-pitch fear? That you would perhaps die? That you mm. wouldn't see your family again? That somehow you'd be
1: exposed as a fraud? What was the fear? I'm not sure. I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know. Uh, the, the amount of time, I think, because of cricket, the way it was, when you were off the field, you spent a lot of time off the field, and it was just the more and more thoughts going through your mind.
2: What were those thoughts? Try to explain
1: everything. Give what's me a for instance. What's a kids doing now? And I'd say, I'd be thinking, right, going there? Should we go there? Should we go there? Going there. But it wouldn't just be the kids. It would be, you know, I'd get to a point where what I would do normally. So I'd go out on a Saturday or Sunday night, and I'd put myself back in that position, and it always became a negative a negative thought that I'm not doing, it's not not doing what I want to do, but. So what you're actually describing is something the
2: psychologists will call FOM's fear of missing something. Is that what was going on for you? Um, Did you wish you, you were not playing cricket, but you were back in in the northeast with your mates, back with your family? You're f- missing out, quite literally, missing out on another life. Possibly.
1: Does okay. that ring a few bells It rings. It rings a bell, but it, it, I think everybody is in that, situation that played that played cricket, I'm sure they are, I can't believe that Andrew Flintoff wasn't thinking that, I can't believe Kevin Peterson wasn't thinking that, when he ended up having family himself, Michael Vaughan, I can't believe anybody was different to me at that point. But they were, some of them wanted to be there and excel at cricket for their country. I wanted to be there and excel for my country, I'm sure, I loved playing cricket, I think everybody would be the same on that trip. If they've got kids, they'll be thinking, where what's happening? Unless you've been on overseas tours and been in that sort of life environment, I think you realise them thoughts would be there. I think I do believe the first tour I went on was something that I never really recovered from. Never really recovered from emotionally because them feelings I was getting before I went to Pakistan and during Pakistan, with the same feelings I had when I went on my next trip, and then when I went on my next trip, and then when I went on on my last trip. Just describe those feelings in their most severest form. So the anxieties of you know, the, the churn of the stomach, you know, not not being able to you know, struggling to keep not struggling to eat, yeah, you know, you know, the, the body just tightening up.
2: So what's what we call a somatic presentation, a physical presentation of the body mm. which is a psychosomatic illness
1: i'm a bit simpler than that and i didn't really understand that so is your a body machine, reacting
2: so. to the, the pressures that your mind is yeah it probably is yeah uh, those are some called somatic mm. presentation. but
1: the the sort of the lump in the throat that just doesn't go away yeah. the pain and burning churning in the stomach then not being able to sleep was the is the biggest factor and you're getting up tired and mm. having to train the next day and then it's just the vicious circle of going round and round and round, of not being able to sleep, getting up early, not having enough energy to train, and then the stomach churns and the lumps go in, and it's, it just it, it spirals from there.
2: I'm Gary Bloom. This is On the Sporting Couch. With me today, Steve Harmison, former England pace bowler. Still to come... Steve talks about his depression while playing for England on Talk. You're listening to On the Sporting Couch here on Talk Sport. If you're finding life tough, Samaritans is there to listen. Call 24-7 free on 116 123 or visit samaritans.org. You said to me when we spoke before the recording, Steve, that you grew up on a football touchline and actually... I'm interested in the fact of you loving football and whether you are in fact a cricketer who fell into cricket by accident
1: and really you should have been a footballer uh yes and yes probably I agree with that but on the other hand is i felt as though that's why I was better at cricket because of because of what you've just said and the reason behind that is I think football would have been an obsession and I think football would have been so much pressure where cricket wasn't as much of an obsession I could take it or leave it and I think that's what made me made me better good days were really good bad days were I could I could put them to one side and move on and and get on with the next day where I think if it was football being the obsession I think the bad day would have turned into another bad day and I think the confidence would have gone from that where cricket I was quite philosophical with cricket. It was just, it was something I was good at. I believed I was good at. And if I had a bad day, well, I didn't beat myself up too much. Possibly didn't understand cricket as much as I probably should have. You know, people talk about former cricketers and they get them in to do the coaching this and coaching that, especially kids. And I'm not educated enough, I'm not qualified enough to coach these kids. But you've coached football? But I've coached, I've coached. I've coached football at an, at a, at a, at an adult level. Mm-hmm. That's coaching men, coaching people, man, managing. The football side of it was you're coaching. It's a bit like you know, the psychological side of it. You're trying to make people understand but in a good environment, happy environment. You know what the dressing room's like because you've just spent 15, 18 years in one. Um, coaching kids is completely different. Coaching kids is, is completely different. It's a different element because you're looking at different you know, different techniques different ways and I think I'd struggle to do that um, if I'm brutally honest I'd struggle to do that how would you have coached a young Steve Harmison in his teens I'd have, I'd have realized he probably was something different different in what way not the typical textbook my action wasn't a typical textbook action I think I might have been dangerous for somebody and what I mean by that is, my action was completely different to what the coaching manual was saying. The way I played cricket was different to 90% of the people that played at that same age, at that same level. Um, but that's what made me be different and better, or something, you know, something with this, this X factor that I ended up having when I was. In my mid-teens, uh, maybe mid-twenties, and I think I would have, me personally, I'd embraced that. I'd have seen that straight away. If I was, if you were any good at sort of coaching or spotting, you'd see that straight away, and you'd try and help. And I think the the coach I'll refer to is someone like Troy Cooley, and Troy Cooley was, he was great at the spoken word, but he's also good at looking on the comp- work the computer screen from a technical point of view. And it took it would probably took him more the spoken word than it got from a technical point of view. Where somebody like somebody different, might, he might go down the other way, where it would be more technical than the spoken word. You see, I wonder whether this is why you weren't picked up until
2: eighteen nineteen. That nobody could recognise this unusual style you have as a cricketer. I didn't play. He didn't play no, at all.
1: I hardly played very rarely, i played football i played football up until the football season finished um so that missed the first sort of 5 6 weeks of the cricket season and i always been back to football from the uh, all the way through my upbringing from the age of 11 to 17
2: well i wonder what you thought about cricket whether it was a bit of a posho sport played by public schoolboys when you were growing up as a, as a football nut football mad young boy
1: um possibly i think possibly i think the the school in in the northeast in the way northumberland cricket is cricket association it's not many came from sort of state schools they came from the private private education um and the clubs who had a little bit more financial resources i came from ashington did that irritate you no, because I didn't understand it. I was 11, 12, 13-year-old. This was this was another game we for didn't, n- we, n- another set of people. Yeah, we were, I, I wasn't bothered about that because nine times out of ten, when you had like the county trials, I was playing football. I wasn't interested in playing cricket. I was playing football. Why am I going to go to the county trials? I'm not going to play. I'm going to play football. And it wasn't until I got picked up at sort of 16, 17. Well, cause been... I, hadn't, I hadn't been to any... I not really... I'd, I'd been to... I'd played the counties under... 13s and 15s um, but it was for me pretty much it was take it or leave it and if there was a football match on at the time there wasn't there was no no hope in hell I was going to play cricket
2: I'm going to try something left of field here Steve and if I get this wrong I'm going to apologize but I'm wondering whether that slight cultural difference that you bring to the England team international cricket made it harder for you and increased the chances of you having anxiety attacks you're not quite fitting in in the same way as some of those other england internationals who have had a public school background and who have got used to being away living in dormitory life all that sort of thing That they might feel felt more at home on those tours
1: no i I disagreed with that because for the simple fact the people that were in and around my age group there was there was just as many people like me from where I was come from than what there was, Now that under nineteen team. I talk about that we went on, you know, Zach Morris, Alan, Andrew Flintoff, Gareth Batty. They were from the sort of Yorkshire, you know, hard harder Yorkshire areas, Lancashire. You know, Fred Andrew was from Preston. So, and then when you looked at the cricket team that I played in, I felt at home. I had Matthew Hoggard from you know another another guy from. Yorkshire, Paul Collingwood, who I played a lot of cricket with at Durham, was yeah, you know, Shotley Bridge concert, another coal mining area, Darren Goff, our, our very own talk sports, Darren Goff from Barnsley, so they, you know these people got through and they were, they were there, and we were all the same, and so to, to see it was a class thing when I grew up, no, I think there was teams picked at under 11s all the way to 12s to 13s possibly with that in mind I probably wasn't as good as them kids at 11, 12, 13 I started to excel at 14, 15, 16 but I still didn't play a great deal of cricket I'm going to go back to something that we've already covered but I'm still still keen
2: to get to the bottom Mm. of this, this idea of where this anxiety comes from and you say it's a little bit to do with the fear of missing out of what's going on on the other side of the world and it's a little bit to do with personal safety when I'm getting from place A to place B what's the bit that's missing here that we haven't nailed nailed so far because we've got bits of it mm. but we haven't got all of it I'm, I,
1: honestly I'm not exactly sure and I you, must even... have,
2: you must have asked yourself this question hundreds
1: and hundreds and hundreds of times I don't think I have because I don't really want to I probably don't want to know the answer if I think, if I'm honest, I don't really want to know that answer. And if think, you did know the answer, if I did know the answer. I think that might make it worse because it might think oh, that is something, something even worse wrong with. You know, I just felt the anxiety. I became quickly on how to manage it, and it was like right. how to, I was more uh, occupying myself on how I managed the thing than what was causing it. Well, I'm because just, I'm... I knew, because sorry, and I knew because I knew no matter what I thought it was to manage it, if it was going away from home, I couldn't stop doing that because no. it stopped us playing cricket for England. If it was missing out, well, that couldn't I couldn't affect that because I still had to go away because that was what I wanted to do was play cricket for England. If there was anything else other deeper than that, I really didn't want to know because I didn't want anything to stop me going away from playing for England. So what I did feel was, this is how I feel. This is what helps me by, you know, writing things down, talking to people. You know, Freddie, Rob Key, two of my best mates, you know, they were agony ants for, for for years and years and probably wouldn't have gotten through half the tours I did if it wasn't for them, just by talking to them. And they weren't even listening half the time, probably, which I'm grateful for. But it was, I was more on the how do I get through it rather than what's actually causing it.
2: I'm interested in the relationship with mum, because I think we're getting somewhere here. Mm. I think it's mum who makes you feel safe in the world. Probably.
1: I wouldn't disagree with that.
2: You go away from the maternal bosom. Mm. You go away from that. And the question is then, how are you safe?
1: Possibly, yeah. I I wouldn't disagree that when I first went away, I I think we went away end of... I think we went away 1st of December... And I think I met Haley. I think it was at the 15th of November, when I met Haley for the first time.
2: So this maternal looking after, mm. the baton passes from mum to
1: Haley. Probably, yeah. I wouldn't disagree with that.
2: If there was one person that could have been with you in Pakistan that would have changed everything, who would that have been?
1: If I was bro- going back and you're saying close your eyes and go back to that point, I don't think anybody would have helped me through that period. I think it was me and me alone. And what I mean by that, I think it was the culture shock of leaving England. I think probably I did have the anxiety of leaving mum, family, Hmm. everything early after just meeting up and then going to Pakistan and the culture shock of what I was witnessing over there i'm not don't want to be disrespectful to somebody else's country or, or anything like that but it's not england it's not what you get when you go down the street it is completely different you know it's a lot hotter it airs a lot more polluted there's a lot more people it's it's a lot more you feel out your comfort zone a lot more of a hostile atmosphere and i think because of that i think that's what that was the underline and bang, and I think you could have, uh, you could had anybody with me, you could add the whole lot with me. And I still think I'd have felt probably felt that way.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello?
2: This is On the Sporting Couch on Talk TalkSport. Still to come, Steve talks about his England career and the ups and downs about being away on tour. Steve, you talk about playing with pressure. The pressure doesn't get much higher than playing in an Ashes series. Tell me the highs and lows of playing Ashes cricket.
1: <laughs> well, the simple, to be fair. The 2005 when we won it and then the very first ball in Brisbane. Um, that's the worst the, ball ever bowled apparently apparently so apparently so um, where do you want to start the third, the highs of winning even when I went back and went back and you know, I went into management the football side you won a game and I made sure we celebrate, you celebrate when you win you have a, you know, if you have a beer or you have whatever you celebrate when you win because there's not a better feeling in the world than winning and you've got to get to a point where in your life that when you get beat it hurts but it doesn't go too far, and I was—I felt as that that I had that in me. I had that—that that was something I was quite good at. That if we got beat, I could I could take defeat and say well played, and then take bits off it on how I got beat, how we got beat, and try and put things better the next time. Um, so when we won the Ashes, it was a yeah, you know, it was a great elation. You know, that's the best team. Arguably the best team that's ever played the game of cricket, that Australia side. Um, And you need an element of luck, and we got that. Um, And we had passages of brilliance. um, And a collective unit beat a couple of individuals um, because the collective unit was England's 12 that played. Paul Collingwood only played a little part at the Oval. It was a collective unit. Played a team who were you know, very much an individual side after they lost their best player in the second game, which, you know, from a psychological point of view, little things happen just to keep building England's mm-hmm. feel-good factor. You know, McGraw getting injured, then you know things going our way at Old Trafford to then winning at Trent Bridge and then nearly losing it, but Peterson got us Warren drops that catch who was absolutely brilliant, one of their best individuals and Peterson got us over the line uh, with an unbelievable innings at at the Oval and then the celebration was what was expected of a group of blokes and we can go and and do the after dinner stuff for for ages about that bus trip and whether it was the right thing, it it wasn't, it wasn't the right, it was the right thing to celebrate it was just at the wrong time because I felt it was disrespectful to Australia have a a celebration like that while they were still in the country if we had waited another 24 hours they would have been in the air and they wouldn't have seen it and I think that was their determination to go to Australia when we went over there and there's a lot of talk in the media and the press and how we go about it how we went about that trip and if everything went our way in 2005 nothing went our way in 2006-7
2: Tell me about that opening ball
1: i will come into that because the reason why I say nothing went our way was we lost about three players and it had nothing to do with the opening ball or Andrew Flintoff was captain instead of Andrew Strauss. Why England got beat 5-0 in that series. We were underprepared. Uh, little bits of luck didn't go our way. I was in a position where I was underprepared uh, in a physical way because the, the game before the four-day game the, beforehand in Adelaide, I just felt my side. Ten o'clock in the morning, the toss was in half an hour, and I wasn't sure whether I was if it was a torn side, which if you try and push it, and it goes, that's eight weeks. That's a whole series gone. Yeah. So I went down the cautious route, and pull, we pulled out of that test. That that one that four-day game got a little bit of pre- preparation going into Brisbane but I was nowhere near prepared to go in. And the first ball showed that because I tried to bowl too hard. I bit bowl too fast. I was trying too hard. We were all pumped up. We were all pumped up. And there wasn't just one person. But then all of a sudden, got to the point, end of the mark, and you sort of... I wouldn't say froze, but lost all train of thought of what I was trying to do. And then I head in, as in probably ran in as quick as I would run in for maybe the fifth ball and not the first ball and it just went all awry, I tried too hard pulled left side, came out far too early and literally between that and that was the difference between where the ball ended up because it came right over the top of the perpendicular from your yeah, action point of view and it just it bounced off so when people ask you how long did that last, and I tell this in the, again in the, the after dinner stuff, where I'll, I'll say I visualized what had what had happened, and you, you make the odd little little wise crack and funny remark, but I always say on a serious note, it lasted for about eight hours. Because, and why I say the eight hours, I thought mentally, from a mental strength point of view, that was that was one of the best trips I'd ever been on. Because that whole, I never, once I bowled that ball, I vowed that if I'm playing in the next game, in the next game, in the next game, I'm not going off, I'm not going to hide, I'm going to make sure I am involved in every part, and I got better throughout the series, but that, that ball, when I finished the day's play, I bowled maybe a dozen overs. And then at the end of the end of the day's play, we went back. Kids are there; and they're not bothered what dad's done throughout the year. They're, they just want some tea. They want to go swimming or crayons and drawing and stuff like that because we're relatively small at the time. And I watched the news because I thought, "What's there's no point watching Australian TV because it's going to be all over." They were they got three hundred nod for two. They were they were all over us. And at, at eight o'clock at night, I put Sky News on, and there it was: England starts. Harmerson bowls the first ball to flint off its slip uh, ashes have gone already fair enough there it was and then the next newsreel was the f- there was two soldiers killed in afghanistan um and it's for the, the first two in a certain province um and that upset me that really really upset me uh, to the point because i was first and that was second it was a sport, it was sport, and this was real life. And it really hit me, it really hit home to me, and thinking, Yeah, you know, I'm playing sport here, and I'm watching a TV programme, a newsreel, an English newsreel, where two people, you know, fighting for their country, have lost their life on that very afternoon. And I've bowled a ball, which has gone a little bit, you know, a little bit awry, I got a chance to come back and bowl again and again and again. And it upset me in a way that I thought, is this what? Is this what it is? Is this what life's come to? That That's first on a national news programme and you know, somebody dying, fighting for their country is second. And it got to me. Whether it was right to get to me or not, it got to me. It really upset me. When he say got to you, what was the emotion? The emotion was of embarrassment. I feel he felt i felt as i was shame i was just i was shame yeah i was, I was you know, i cuddled the kids and i was i was upset i'd lumped my throat and i was i couldn't believe what i'd just witnessed and then i realized after that nothing else is going to get to me Yeah, you know, if this is what it is i'm not nothing else is going to affect me from that i'm going to go out and i'm going to en- try and enjoy everything i do i'm not going to get upset for what's just happened because of what I've just witnessed and I think it really put up from a mental point of view I just thought I'm I can't believe what I've what I've just witnessed and I'm not going to let it get to me I'm not going to let that ball get to me I'm going to make sure I'm going to yeah, I'm going to enjoy what I do and if it does happen again I'm just going to try and smile and go back through and I'm going to do it all again and if uh, it was like if this if uh, if I'm never good enough after this and that ball is going to define my career and I never play again I'm not actually that at that point in time I think I was more not actually that bothered but the one thing I am telling myself is I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm not gonna let this game affect me anymore and uh, that's why I think from that moment I was quite easy going with what I was doing on a cricket field
2: just coming more up to date do you think the modern cricketer is playing too much cricket and is under the worst psychological pressure than you were under?
1: Yes, I think they are, but I, I don't blame them. The vast amount of money that's to be earned now in the Big Bash, the Indian Premier League, the test match fees you get, the one day national fees, 2020 fees you get. I think you'd have to be careful on an individual basis on if you are managing and monitoring that. But I don't think you can stop them because of what's on offer. I'd be concerned that somebody might burn out and just maybe fall to pieces because of the amount of time they are aware.
2: And if somebody playing cricket today came and knocked on your door and said, Mr. Harmison, I'm under so much psychological pressure, I want to give it up, I don't want to tour, I'm anxious, I'm nervous, I'm depressed, what advice would he give to them, Steve, today?
1: I'd put them in the passenger seat of my car and take them to somebody who, like yourself, or the doctor that I've seen at the Priory who helped me, I'd sit in a waiting room and say, did that help you? And then talk to them there and back about cricket to try and keep them involved in the game. If they still want to be playing the game, if they enjoy the game, and try and keep them in the game. If that didn't work, you try something different to try and keep them in the game. And if that didn't work, take them to the PCA, Players' Cricket Association, and try and help them in their afterlife to get them in a position to go through one door and in through another. Because I always described it when I left the game of cricket, it was it was like coming out of a sh- the supermarket with a big, big, heavy bags of shopping and not knowing where your car is. <laughs> That's all I felt when I came out of the game. It was like, and it was as they're getting heavier and heavier. That is because the kids need this mortgage needs paying, car needs paying, insurance, because you've gone from, I'd gone from 18 years of what to wear, what to do, where to be, what to eat, what bus to get on, there's your boots, go out and play, and it stops, and when it stops, that reality is dangerous, and I think the PCA of market leaders in sport, and I think other sports could take lead from that, and I'd love to see them do it, and I'd, if they ne- ever needed anybody to help, I'd push them in the right direction. Because what would you do if somebody came and knocked on your door? I'd hold their hand and take them to the PCA and take them to people who know what they're doing because they've got they've got they've had a lot of experience in the game of cricket.
2: Steve Harmison, been a privilege talking to you. Many thanks for joining me on the sporting couch.
1: Cheers, Gary. Thanks.
2: I hope you've enjoyed the show and there are some useful links on the TalkSport website, talksport.com forward slash sporting-couch. And you can listen to the show again by googling ACAST on the Sporting Couch. You can contact me at Bloomers57 on Twitter. I'd be delighted to hear from you. I'm Gary Bloom, sports psychotherapist, and please remember there's no such thing as good health without good mental health. Goodbye.